The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families since 9-11. Hero first responders and service members who serve our communities and our country. Those who die in the line of duty or are catastrophically injured. Veterans who fought for our nation's freedom only to return home, fall on tough times, and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Arno was killed while protecting his community, battling a warehouse fire. He left behind his wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made memories with their hero. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good. Support the families of America's greatest heroes, the families of fallen first responders like Jason Arno, plus Gold Star families with young children, catastrophically injured service members, and homeless veterans. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. President Joe Biden is making a plea to federal lawmakers to take action to curb gun violence in America. Of course, Democrats never explained how their legislation would stop the shootings. As a matter of fact, their ideas tend to have the opposite of their intended effect. It's all good, though, as long as they do something, right? That's what they seem to think. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. He had another chance last night. Joe Biden, President of the United States. Better for worse. I think we all see it's pretty much always for worse. Uh, But he had an opportunity to bring together the American people and say some intelligent things. First of all, about the national healing process that should still be underway in the aftermath of the horrific shooting in Uvalde, um, among some other shootings as well in recent days that haven't gotten nearly as much attention, but also atrocious, uh, the shooting in Oklahoma, for example. Uh, But Joe Biden took the opportunity to give a speech that was rooted in emotional blackmail, a lot of untruths, a lot of misdirection, and was basically just an opportunity to attack his political opponents, instead of actually looking at what would be serious about trying to stop violence in this country, Joe Biden wants to tell you how much he hates the NRA and the gun owners out there who don't want to go along with this. Here he says, though, that he has bipartisan legislation to do something. This time, we have to take the time to do something. And this time, it's time for the Senate to do something. But as we know, in order to do any, get anything done in the Senate, we need a minimum of 10 Republican senators. I support the bipartisan efforts that include small group of Democrats and Republican senators trying to find a way. But my God, the fact that the majority of the Senate Republicans don't want any of these proposals even to be debated or come up for a vote, I find unconscionable. We can't fail the American people again. Do what, Joe? And that's really what this comes in. Okay, do what? We'll talk about some of the things that he said should be done. And 
See, the reason they want to get so much of the emotion out there is that they just want a mobilized mentality on this issue without having to explain how then the actions that they want taken wouldn't actually change anything that we've seen going on. I mean, for example, Biden mentioned there have been 20 mass shootings. Now, how you define mass shootings is something that people uh, have. There are different definitions of it out there, but usually it's three or more people who have been shot. Often these mass shootings involve gang activity and other criminal activity that has, is completely in a different um, category from the kind of mass murder that we saw in that school in Uvalde. But here's Biden saying there have been 20 mass shootings since Uvalde. Watch. Since Uvalde, just over a week ago, there have been 20 other mass shootings in America, each with four or more people killed or injured, including yesterday at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a shooter deliberately targeted a surgeon using an assault weapon he bought just a few hours before his rampage that left the surgeon, another doctor, a receptionist, and a patient dead and many more injured. That doesn't count the carnage we see every single day. It doesn't make the headlines. So how would any of the things, which include an assault rifle ban, uh, magazine limitations, how would any of these things that he wants, safe storage requirements, red flag laws, would they have stopped? He said there have been 20 mass shootings. Would they have stopped any of those mass shootings? If the answer is yes, Joe Biden should tell us how and which mass shooting would have been stopped. Let's just say, for example, the shooter in Tulsa, Oklahoma, had been told, sorry, there's an assault rifle ban in effect. The shooter could have just bought a pistol, just as lethal. Could have used two pistols, like the horrific mass shooting at Virginia Tech, where it was two pistols. It was not a rifle that was used in that mass shooting. In fact, if you look at the Fort Hood shooting, another mass shooting, high casualty count, many deaths attributed to that incident, that horrific incident, pistols. Not a, not a rifle. So changing the weapon isn't going to actually change the lethal intent of psychopathic killers. So how would it have stopped anything? He doesn't even pretend that he has an answer to that. But what he does want, of course, is political mobilization here. He wants people who are Democrats, and I guess some independents, although he's not winning over any independents with this from the numbers that we can see. He wants his political rivals, the Republican Party, to suffer the consequences of not going along with these proposals that quite clearly would do nothing to stop gun violence in any meaningful way. Watch. I've been in this fight for a long time. I know how hard it is, but I'll never give up. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act to turn your outrage into making this issue central to your vote. Enough. Enough, enough. No, he's wrong. That's not going to happen. But it does make the left-wing anti-gun base feel good about themselves. Really, so much of Democrat politics around guns is just they don't like gun owners in general, lawful gun owners. Criminals, Democrats always have a soft spot for, but lawful gun owners, they do not like. And they want to always remind uh, everybody of that fact in whatever ways they can. Um, Karine Jean-Pierre says that Biden knows how to get things done because he's taken on the gun lobby. Watch. Thanks, Karine. Yep. If the president thinks that Congress must act immediately to end this epidemic of gun violence, is he going to bring any of the key players from Capitol Hill to the beach with him tonight? Oh, okay. Um, uh, so I don't well, have... a big part of candidate Biden's whole thing that he knows how to get things done. He does. He does. I mean, he's he's beaten the gun lobby before. He has. Then why not but, invite but, these lawmakers but who it's maybe not, haven't beat the but gun it's lobby not, it's and not, say, this is how it's done? But it's not his thing. It's actually fact. We saw he did that in, in the Senate during, during his Congress days, that he beat I, the gun lobby. Think about this. Beat the gun lobby. As if there's some, some all-powerful enemy out there that's the gun lobby. The problem that they have is gun owners, as in Americans who have Second Amendment rights who don't agree with this nonsense. That's it at the end of the day. And by the way, since we're talking about ending, uh, or rather you know, limiting, uh, mitigating violence to the greatest degree possible, loss of life, look at Democrat policies in cities all across the country. Do you think they're really strict about enforcing gun crimes when it comes to 
uh, when it comes to people who are associated with gangs, people who have a previous criminal history. Not in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago. Oh, no. No, they're letting them walk in many cases. They're giving them plea bargains that they should never be handing to people with any kind of violent intent who are carrying firearms on the streets. But, you know, social justice. And then there's this, Oregon's decriminalization of drugs, for example. Democrats push this. Oregon's first in the nation scheme to decriminalize drugs and encourage those caught possessing them to seek medical help has been blighted with problems. They've had a 700% increase in overdoses in the past year, 7X. Another Democrat policy, like going soft on crime, like defunding police, that results in people dying in large numbers. Why don't they address that? Because there's large numbers of people that are dying from this. 100,000 plus overdoses last year. No, Democrats would rather just do a lot of virtue signaling. Let's talk about protecting your home first. I don't know if you saw this. There was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent who found that the home she lived in was listed for sale. That's, that's fine, right? Except no, she wasn't actually selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime that happens all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowners insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and they help get your home back in your name. So go to HomeTitleLock.com now. Tell them that Buck sent you for 30 free days of protection. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The performance package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawn Mower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof, so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. That was Senator Chuck Schumer back in 2020, sounding an awful lot like he's calling for consequences, perhaps even inciting violence against sitting Supreme Court justices. Uh, Suspect Nicholas Roski has been arrested, fast forward of course to today, and charged with the attempted murder or kidnapping of Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. This man was arrested less than a block from Kavanaugh's Maryland home in possession of a handgun, knife, zip ties, and burglary tools, among other things. Roski also made a deranged 911 call to police as a warning before he attempted to find the justice's home. The New York Post reports, California man was incensed about the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion, and he was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Maryland home Wednesday after he hatched a plan to kill the jurist to, quote, give his life purpose. Joining me now, discuss senior editor at The Federalist, David Arsani. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So this is officially someone arrested for attempted murder of a sitting Supreme Court justice. I don't, I don't know how much uh, digging around you did, David, into the uh, Democrat media, but this was covered, if at all, as like a page seven midway down the fold story in a way, it was pretty shocking. No mention of it at all last night on PBS Airwaves or on PBS's website. It may, may have updated it today, but this happened yesterday. 
Uh, it was a minor news item in either the New York Times or Washington Post. I can't remember now which one it was. But if this had been, uh, let's say you had uh, Sotomayor under similar threat with a pending decision, does anyone think that the media wouldn't act like this was the grave? And by the way, it is a, a grave threat to the uh, institutions of our government. But feels like the partisanship is all that really matters to a lot of the folks in the media. Well, yeah, doesn't it get tiring to always say, imagine if it had been, you know, a, a liberal who this happened to, you know, or, or whatever, you'd have, you know, we'd have, be, we'd be in the midst of a national conversation about right-wing violence. Um, you know, it, it would be front page news. We'd still be talking, we'd be talking about it all the time on every single cable network. And these people just simply don't care because um, they are the people who incite and instigate this sort of thing. And it's not just, I'm not saying that Chuck Schumer in, you know, is, is, is responsible for the actions of a madman, but I will say that it's not, it's, it's the constantly calling people child murderers, fascists, insurrectionists. You're talking about people on the right and dehumanizing them. So if I thought those things were true that they said, I would pick up a gun too. I mean, we'd all want to pick up guns. It would be a rational thing to do, but it's of course an insidious lie. And yet they do it all the time. And it's, it's just this whole rhetoric that you see on MSNBC that now you hear senators. I mean, Chuck Schumer is a very powerful man. And the things he said in that clip, I mean, they're, they're specific threats to specific people. It's just insanity. Yeah, I mean, to anyone who would say, well, oh, he's talking about, what, political consequences? They have lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court. What, right. well, how, how are they going to feel the fury of the public for a decision that some leftist lunatics don't like? I mean, there's, you know, it's not like when you're running against somebody in the you know, general election, you're saying, oh, you know, you're going to feel the fury of, at the ballot box. I mean, these are, these are judges. He did have to step back from that and apologize. But, I mean, I, I also can't forgive or forget that in the immediate aftermath of the leak of the draft opinion, David, and the protests outside some of these judges, including Kavanaugh's home, which are explicitly, clearly illegal under federal statute. And as I've explained this to anybody who asks, oh, okay, so if I'm being prosecuted, I can hire a mob to go stand outside the home of my prosecutor screaming crazy stuff? That's the justice system we think we're allowed to have? So, uh, Jen Psaki at the time was saying, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people are upset about. So no big deal for these protests outside Supreme Court justices' homes. And it's conservative justices, let's be honest. Yeah, of course. I mean, they would never let this happen to, to, to the others. But I'll say that, you know, you make a good point. These are lifetime appointments for a reason. They're lifetime appointments because we don't want justices pressured by, by politics, by protests, by picketing. And yet the Senate... The Senate leader tells people to go to, to the, the president. They actually said, I think Saki said like something like, you know, it's just part of the process or whatever she said. It was basically encouragement for people to go and pressure politically lifetime, lifetime judges. I mean, it, it, it's, it's an attack on, on separation of power. It's an attack on, on civility and decency. I'm all, listen, I'm basically a First Amendment um, you know, absolutist. I mean, if you want to, you know, go on the street and yell at people, you know, from, you know, decent, you know, decent space, that's fine by me. But there, but to have our leaders, to have left wing leaders basically inciting and egging on these people, that is completely out of line. And, uh, you know, and that's why I think part of the reason why they don't cover this stuff. You wrote in the Federalist, David, that normally I wouldn't blame Democrats for the actions of extremists. The problem is that not only does the left continue to push the boundaries with Schumer-like threats, but they are engaged in the relentless daily smearing of their political opponents as seditious, vote-stealing, child-murdering fascists and insurgents. If this were true, violence would be justified, but it's just a sinister lie. I mean, I, I do think that, uh, that we have reached a point now where you have the total normalization of, uh, from the left, from the Democrats, of treating anyone who would cast a vote for any Republican as effectively a threat to our government. I mean, that's what this whole insurrection thing is all about. They don't care about the, you know, the, the, the very foolish and uh, simple-minded and, and, you know, in some cases criminal, depending on what they did, people that were actually in the Capitol on January 6th. It's about everybody. It's about everyone who ever casts a vote for a Republican. Yeah. Have you noticed that 
you know, I've noticed that people demand that I take some kind of ownership of people who went into the Capitol. I don't have anything to do with them. I don't agree with what they did. I don't probably even agree with their philosophical ideas if they have any ideas. I don't even know if they had any. But yet you have a person who tries to wipe out Bernie Sanders fan tries to wipe out Republican leadership. Or you have someone showing up at someone's house where you have a summer of rioting and, you know, and murder and, and you know, the destruction of the lives of thousands of people. And no, they don't take any any ownership of that. They don't they just disconnect from it like it has zero to do with their rhetoric. Well, it can't, you know, again, we're trying, you know, they want us to play by by two sets of rules and that you can't have a civil society, a functioning democratic republic when you have two sets of rules where you put, you know, when one person doesn't show up for a subpoena, you put him in shackles and the other guy gets, a, you know, it, nothing happens to him. I mean, you just simply can't function that way. And that's literally what's happening. I know I'm jumping all over, but I think these things are, are connected. Agree with you. By the way, DeSantis had a good statement on the Kavanaugh threat situation. He said it wasn't even just the fact that this guy was looking to murder someone, which is very serious in itself, that it was being done in service of changing the outcome at the judicial branch of government. And that is really, really problematic. I mean, this is someone who was looking to alter the course of this nation through violence. And it's coming at a time when Democrats are suggesting that people who don't agree with them are a threat to the government itself. Yeah, I mean, the leak itself, most likely, almost surely, was meant to put pressure on the justices who who might turn overturn Roe v. Wade, and the the things that you know the a Senate leader standing on the steps of the of SCOTUS yelling about consequences is trying to make them intimidate those judges. This is just it's outlandish. I don't even know historically speaking, certainly in modern history, nothing like this has happened. I mean, the closest I can think of is when Barack Obama sort of berated the, 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 the Supreme Court for upholding the First Amendment. But other than that, I really, I really can't think of any comparable situation to this. David, appreciate times. joining us. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, first, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, your messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mind your data, never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. Costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Pandemic era policy Title 42 remains in limbo, but migrant shelters and border towns say now is the time to prepare for its end. With a massive migrant caravan already heading toward our border, many are concerned that the termination of Title 42 will open the floodgates even more to illegal immigration. More than a year, Arizona's Attorney General Mark Burnovich has been fighting to get the Biden administration to do its job, from suing DHS Secretary Mayorkas to the CDC to President Biden himself. A.G. Burnovich is doing everything in his power to protect this community, stop the White House from rescinding Title 42. Attorney General for the state of Arizona joins me now. A.G. Burnovich, good to have you, sir. Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. So, so just tell me this, um, the end of Title 42 would be a problem, but as I understand it, uh, Mr. Attorney General, the reality of Title 42 as it is at the border right now, whether it's Arizona, Texas, you name it, is that they're not really using it except against illegal Mexican and Central American migrants. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, we you mentioned this, that we've been involved in so many lawsuits against the Biden administration trying to force to do them to do their job. Now, we went into court, we led the coalition, our lawyers argued that the Biden administration could not rescind Title 42. And what we had found out they were doing was they were trying to play these games where they were trying to create exclusions and exceptions for people from certain countries. And the court told them they can't, could not do that. But we have seen the Biden administration in the past when we sued him over the permanent guidance, or the, at that time it was temporary guidance, where they were not deporting people, deportation orders, 
you know, they would tell the court they're doing it and they would slightly tweak the policy. And then they would say, well, we're following that decision, but then they would change and create a new policy. So the one thing that has been very consistent is the Biden administration is trying to systematically undermine the rule of law and basically eradicate our entire Southern border. I know folks like, we, we've talked about this where we thought at one point they maybe wanted to abolish ICE, but it's clear they just want to eradicate the southern border. So that's why I keep having to go into court and keep getting these injunctions, keep getting these restraining orders, just to try to get the Biden administration to do their actual job. And Title 42 is one of the last things we have left in our toolbox. So I'm doing everything I can to save it. Here's a list of some of the cases you've brought. Uh, Arizona v. Garland challenging DHS fast-track asylum system. Arizona v. CDC, challenging the revocation of Title 42, as we were just discussing. You've also challenged DHS's final guidance, challenging Biden administration's illegal violation relating to cancellation of border wall construction, and uh, once again, challenging interim guidance. So you are not afraid to take the feds into court over this stuff. How have these challenges played out? You're winning some, losing some, something in between, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, we we unfortunately, for example, in the border wall, um, you know, that's still in litigation. We did not, we weren't uh, successful at the beginning of that, but we were continuing to litigate it. Um, one thing you did not mention is that I literally argued the U.S. Supreme Court in February of the public charge rule, and this is where the Biden administration tries is trying to give government welfare benefits to non-citizens. And so I'm very confident we're going to win that case. We had to take that all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, you know, we got the restraining order to stop uh, Title 42 from being revoked. And, you know, on, on the permanent guidance, some of these other cases are still winding their way through the courts. And unfortunately, what the Biden administration has shown is a, you know, complete disregard, not only for administrative procedures, but they're shredding the Constitution in the process. And so I'm doing everything I can, Buck, to try to hold them accountable and to try to force them to just follow the existing law. And so, you know, we've been very successful in some cases. In some cases, we literally are having to take to the U.S. Supreme Court to make sure the court orders the Biden administration to just follow the law and do the right thing. So with, with that in mind, what, what would need to happen for, I mean, right now, obviously, a federal judge has said Title 42 cannot be rescinded as it currently stands. Uh, at some point, it will be rescinded, one would assume, right? It, it's a pandemic-related CDC authority. So what would have to happen for it to be legal, and what would be the changes necessary uh, from your perspective that the Biden administration could make so that they wouldn't get the massive surge? I mean, we already have a huge caravan of, they estimate, ten to 15,000 on the way. So what could they do differently, and then how could we get, and then what happens when Title 42 goes? Yeah, look, Title 42, I think we all recognize, it's like the, the little kid, the story about holding the finger in the dike. I mean, that's all we're doing. These are stopgap measures, and it's because the Biden administration is failing to build the wall, which we know was working. They, they tried to rescind the Remain in Mexico policy. They aren't deporting people deportation orders. They're trying to incentivize and monetize people coming here by giving them government benefits. We're trying to stop that. So Title 42, what we basically argued is that Look, if the Biden administration wants to rescind it, what has been good for the goose is good for the gander. And in that sense, these left-wing groups, they always sue Republican administrations trying to tell them they cannot change rules or policies without going through the proper rulemaking process. So what we've said and what the judge agreed with is that if the Biden administration wants to rescind or revoke Title 42, they have to go through the process, the legal process, and that would include rulemaking and public notice and comment. Um, and so... Yeah, ultimately, if the administration wants to change that policy, they can, but we argue that they have to do it in the legally correct way. And that basically means the states get to have input saying this is how this will affect us and this is how illegal immigration is impacting us all over the country. So they have to provide that notice and they have to provide public input and notice and comment um, from the states as well. So uh, you are currently the attorney general in Arizona. You are running for a Senate seat on the Republican side from your state. You have a primary to get through here with your uh, primary opponent being Blake Masters. Uh, Trump, Donald Trump, former president of the United States, endorsed Masters, and today he put out a statement. I wanted to let you react to it, Mr. Attorney General. He said that Mark Burnovich is such a disappointment to me. He is the current Arizona Attorney General, and while he understands what took place in the 2020 presidential election, 
and that it was rigged and stolen, he only views it as something he would not like to see happen again. That was a statement that former President Trump put out. Uh, how, how do you respond to that? I mean, I, I think uh, I've heard your policies and, and I've seen a lot of what you've, you've done as attorney general. It would seem to be in line with President Trump's ideology. So what happened here? Yeah, you know, Buck, I can never control what other people are going to say or do. And what I've said, I literally told President Trump this, is that if you care about securing the border, if you care about confirming good federal judges that will enforce laws it is and not create policy, if you care about low energy prices and energy independence, if you care about low taxes, low regulation, you go through that entire agenda. I've actually been there. I mean, I was a prosecutor when I began my career, gang prosecutor, protecting our communities. I worked at a think tank called the Goldwater Institute where I wrote extensively about federalism and low energy prices. And now as an AG, look at all I've done, whether we're suing the Biden administration over unconstitutional vaccine mandates or literally last year, and I brought this up to the president, the most important election case in a generation is literally called Bernovich v. DNC. And when left-wing groups tried to come into places like Arizona, I fought them all the way to the Supreme Court. And we, the court upheld the ability of states like Arizona in other states now to enact election integrity measures that limit and restrict ballot harvesting and out of precinct voting. So I've actually been in the forefront of these fights. So you get a lot of folks now that come up and they talk the talk, but they've never walked the walk. They've never actually been in the fight. And they can say a lot of things now, but where's the evidence, where's the receipts, as kids say nowadays, uh, with what they've actually done. And I've been in the forefront of this. And ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I think it's important to have a principled Arizona taking on Mark Kelly because the stakes are so high. And if you want someone that understands limited government, federalism, and conservative principles, then I'm the guy. Attorney General Bernovich, State of Arizona. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Buck. Thank you very much. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. One of the most liberal cities in America is putting its progressive prosecutor on notice. Finally, for the first time ever, San Francisco has recalled its district attorney, Chesa Boudin, as voters hold him responsible for a surge in murders, violent crime, and shameless shoplifting. So will this recall send a message to soft-on-crime prosecutors across the country? Let's ask former NYPD cop and conservative commentator John Cardillo. John, good to see you. Hey, Buck. Always good to be with you. So this is a good thing. It's not a seismic shift, right? I'm sure they're going to replace uh, when the mayor, London Breed, uh, puts forward his replacement and they have elections. They're going to replace him with a Democrat to San Francisco. But at least it's moving in the right direction here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, one thing about Chesa Bowden, we'll get into this guy, radical as they come, right? Parents for whether underground members convicted cop killers, contemporaries of, of such illustrious luminaries as Bill Ayers and Asada Shakur, who uh, uh, Joanne Chesimar, right, has been on those. These, I mean, just radical, radical terrorists. But here's the thing. Chesa Bowden did not do one thing that he did not tell people he was going to do when he campaigned. Nothing was a surprise with this guy. He laid out the blueprint during his campaign, then executed it to the letter. San Franciscans, these radical leftists, fuck, maybe they don't really like the real life version of these utopian, which are really dystopian policies they promote. Because he didn't do anything he didn't say he was going to do. Here he is last night, by the way, in his concession speech. Here's Chesa Boudin, soon to be the former district attorney of San Francisco. Watch. People are angry. They're frustrated. And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. 
They exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset. And they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing. I mean, I, this is amazing. Can we just try to take, take a second? This is amazing. The right wing billionaires are, I mean, 60% of San Franciscans voted to kick this clown out of office because they're sick of the home invasions, the assaults on the street, the theft, the armed robber, you name it. And, and I mean, why does he think they're all so upset? It, this guy is like a lunatic. Oh, I mean, Buck, didn't you see the ATM cameras, that, that, that hidden footage of Larry Ellison and Elon Musk pumping raw sewage and, and, and heroin needles on the streets of San Francisco? I mean, the guy's out of his mind. Look, he was letting bad guys go free. He wasn't prosecuting worse bad guys. And he and so many other Democrats have abandoned quality of life crimes. They won't even touch him, which we know, you and I know this, right? We both in some fashion with the NYPD, you were over there on the intel side, I was there on the law enforcement side. We know that when you address what Rudy Giuliani did addressing quality of life crimes, typically leads to a reduction in the bigger crimes. This had nothing to do with anyone or anything other than, you're so polite in the way you say his name as well, Chesa Bodan's refusal to be a prosecutor, he wanted to be a far left activist, not the chief law enforcement officer, the chief prosecutor prosecutorial officer of the city of San Francisco. It's amazing, John, because as we all know, there was a 30% increase in homicides in nationwide in 2020 to 2021. The George Floyd movement and BLM and all this played into this, of course, but the progressive prosecutors, they had already been seeded into all these different city bureaucracies in the years leading up to this, in part because I think of the media stoking a racial panic over the election of Donald Trump, right? So 2017, 2018, you start seeing the Chesa Boudin and, uh, you know, the Kim Fox and these other, Larry Krasner, these progressive prosecutors taking office. And it wasn't just that they had one year, the next year, 2022 to 2021, was also terrible in these cities. So we knew it wasn't just a pandemic blip or whatever crap they were saying at the time, the lies they were telling. In San Francisco, for example, 2022 versus 2021, Larceny so far uh, this year up 20%, assaults up 11%, homicides up 11%, rape up 9%. So they had a terrible year of crime rise across the country, but in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco specifically, and it keeps going, John. I think that was what people just said, well, enough is enough. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to addressing those quality of life crimes, right? The broken windows, leasing strategies. You know, you and I talk about this a lot, and so sometimes I don't delve into it when we're on air, but it's important to understand that maybe you have new viewers, which I'm sure you do as your audience grows, who are maybe younger, they don't understand what we're talking about. And simply put, what Rudy Giuliani, his police commissioners understood in New York City in the 90s, when they managed a crime reduction, crime fell off a cliff in New York, is if you go after the little things, the big things follow. Very simply put, if you arrest a guy for a shoplifting or jumping the turnstile in a subway, not paying the fare, Oftentimes, when you run their information after the arrest, you find they had warrants for felony robbery, felony burglary, uh, felony assault, some of these bigger crimes. And by getting those people off the street, returning them on those warrants to a judge, you were reducing crime across the board. Again, these progressive DAs, I'm so glad you brought up Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. He was really George Soros's first experiment with funding far left district attorneys to affect social change in the wrong direction. And look where Philadelphia is today, it's a mess. I have Philly cops reach out to me on Twitter, on Facebook all the time telling me how bad it is. But it's very simple. If you address the quality of life crimes, if you actually enforce the law, as crazy as it sounds, Buck, crime drops. And when you do the opposite, crime rises. The big city crime spike isn't just San Francisco, as I noted a moment ago, John. And again, in its second year of rise, right? 2020, 2021 was the worst year pretty much ever for a one-year crime spike nationwide. 2021 versus 2022, though, San Francisco's up 7.8%. New York City, though, with a new mayor, up 38%. Los Angeles, 11%. Chicago, 35%. Philadelphia, up 22%. Philadelphia last year had its all-time murder record, and it's just running slightly below that pace six months into 2022. John, I, I just want to know what your take is on, I've got a theory that 
in some of these cities, they're realizing that the progressive prosecutors, I mean, that's just essentially suicidal for the city. But bringing in a kind of mainstream Democrat who's still a little, you know, wishy-washy, that's not going to turn the momentum around. They're going to need a Giuliani-like figure to come in and say there's a new sheriff in town. Oh, 100%. I mean, New York City is the proof of that, right? Eric, Eric Adams, I mean, the guy who's a New York City police officer, guy retired the, as a New York City police captain. And crime is rising in New York City. Why? Because instead of being a leader, instead of saying I had 23 years in the New York City Police Department, I may have a D behind my name, but I know what works and I know what doesn't to reduce crime. What's he doing? He's deferring to guys like Alvin Bragg, the far left Manhattan district attorney that won't prosecute anyone for anything. He's, he's now beholden to the radicals in the New York City Council and crime is rising. Also important to note a city like Portland, Ted Wheeler, one of the furthest left mayors in the United States. There was a period in those years you mentioned, Buck, 21 to 22, 20 to 21, when Portland saw an 800% increase in murders. This is unheard of. We haven't seen these numbers since the 70s. Crazy, but we'll see if people are waking up. Even Democrats, they got to wake up too because they've managed to take over and now destroy their own cities. John, my friend, always words of wisdom. Good to see you. Great to see you, Buck. Thanks. Billionaire Elon Musk seems to have won at least one battle against Twitter. Earlier this week, Musk threatened to walk away from a deal to buy the social media company if it didn't allow him and his legal team full access to its internal data to address concerns about the number of spam bots on the platform. In a letter to Twitter, Musk's attorney wrote, Twitter's latest offer to simply provide additional details regarding the company's own testing methodologies, whether through written materials or verbal explanations, is tantamount to refusing Mr. Musk's data requests. Twitter's effort to characterize it otherwise is merely an attempt to obfuscate and confuse the issue. Mr. Musk has made it clear he does not believe the, ta uh, the company's Lacks testing methodologies are adequate, so he must conduct his own analysis. The data he has requested is necessary to do so. After Twitter had about 48 hours of deliberation, it appears Musk will receive the information he asked for. Join me now to discuss former Facebook intelligence analyst and director of Heritage's, uh, Heritage Foundation's Tech Policy Center, Kara Frederick. Kara, thanks for being with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. So let's start with, what, what is it for everyone at home, you know, people work in this stuff, the media care a lot more about the Twitter situation, I think, than everyday folks. But so explain to us uh, what the issue was here. There are too many bots on, basically Elon, as the purchaser of Twitter, wants to know how many fake accounts there are. Is that what this is? Exactly. And the lawyers, the letters that are flying between the lawyers, uh, Elon's lawyers at least are saying that this is a clear material breach of the takeover agreement because Twitter has said, we're not going to let you look under the hood in this way. We're not going to reveal proprietary information. They're calling it private information that they don't want to reveal to the public about their bot counting and their spam methodologies. So Twitter has itself uh, publicly said that we, the platform is comprised of only 5% bots, but Elon said, no, nah, I've done a little digging with my own people and we're thinking it could be upwards of 20% bots um, composed of you know, what the platform is or the automated accounts that are on the platforms vice the real legitimate authentic users. So, so that's what this is about because if Twitter is comprised of 20% bots, then Elon's not getting his money's worth out of this platform. It doesn't, it's not real political discourse that's going on. It's not real authentic users that are engaging with each other. It's, you know, those automated accounts that push uh, various, you can push propaganda, you can push um, advertising, you can push all sorts of crazy things, you know, strings and puppeteers from state-linked actors like the CCP can run rampant on these platforms to. So Elon wants to know what he's paying for. And Twitter has thus far said, mm, we're not going to let you in on that because all of that is proprietary to us, our private platform. In an article on The, the Verge, they wrote that Twitter will give Elon Musk firehose data access to settle bot complaints. And Twitter is preparing to grant Elon Musk unprecedented access to platform data in an effort to address his concerns about automated accounts. So this, this fire hose of data they're talking about, how could they assume that? I mean, if someone's going to buy your company, don't they? And you have an agreement with them that they're looking at, they're doing their due diligence. How could they hide this? I mean, that, that's, it just seems like this is so basic. 
Yeah, no kidding. And that's, I think, what's going through Elon's head as well. He wants to make sure that he's what he was promised is what he's actually getting. So if that fire hose of data comes at him, you know, Elon knows a lot of smart people in the industry. I hope he has an army of data scientists, of programmers, of people who can actually comb through this data and make sense of it. That would be great. Uh, and look and basically double check the methodologies for bot counting and all of these spam accounts. So that would be fantastic, but you're right. It's the most basic thing. And what I think this actually does end up highlighting, Buck, is the fact that these tech companies, they do not operate with transparency as one of their major goals or one of their major values whatsoever. If Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, has to beg and beg and beg to get access to a platform that he should ultimately end up owning, then this is a problem. Think of what the average American user gets when they sign up for these tech companies it ain't transparency what do you what do you think he may find here because there's clearly some sensitivity on the part of the current and and hopefully soon to be former twitter leadership about their data their practices um do you have some sense of what elon could be looking at beyond just bots you know, Twitter's had a, a long heads up right now. So they've had time to sort of try to clean up their act. Uh, there were reports initially when the deal first emerged in the public eye that they were sort of minding their P's and Q's, that they were halting all um, a product tinkering and any sort of uh, different sort of evolutions of their product from being shipped. So that, remember, everyone was experienced on, on the conservative side, at least, that those uptick in user counts and whatnot. So. I think they've had a while to try to clean up their act and get those content moderation processes. If they don't want Elon to investigate um, and look at what they're doing, that's obviously been very biased. Um, they're probably cleaning that up right now. They've probably had a lot of time to clean it up uh, as you know, we in the, in the intelligence community to burn all the documents and whatnot would have done before we're getting out of embassies overseas. Uh, so I think it's, uh, I think they've been given a lot of lead time to clean up their act. But, you know, Elon's good. And again, he has really powerful friends who are good at this stuff too. So we'll see. I think they'll be able to ferret something out for the American people to look at. Do you think this transaction, the purchase of Twitter, which could have enormous implications for our information ecosystem on the news side, just free speech implications in general, do you think Elon's going to actually end up the owner of Twitter based on what you're seeing? You know, Buck, I think it's 50-50. And just in terms of what Elon's thinking himself, he could be walking away or he could, again, be setting himself up for those more advantageous terms and actually trying to get this platform at a discount. So at this point, you know, I was I was a little skeptical in the beginning. Then my hope really, really spiked. But look at what they're throwing at him. Remember when the board took those poison pills? Uh, look at the joint SEC and DOJ investigations by the Biden administration reportedly into his, his other business dealings. Look at the sexual misconduct allegations. I mean, these people are throwing everything they can at Elon. And if he ends up actually confirming that the, the bots are only at 5% or in an area that Twitter says they are, I really, really hope he does. And I really hope he takes over, breaks the ideological monopoly that these big tech companies have over Americans and, and uses it as a force for free speech in the world as he says. So I hope it goes through. Right now, I think it's 50-50, to be completely honest. Do any of these free speech devoted platforms that have been popping up in the last couple of years, I mean, you, you were at Facebook, which is kind of the, the, the granddaddy of all of this, if you will, right? I mean, the, the biggest one and, and, and the one that you know, really got the whole social media revolution started. So do you think that whether it's Getter or Truth Social or any of them, did, did, could they maybe break, Parler, could they maybe break out? You know, I think it really depends on their underlying technology. So there's a company called Rumble that you're familiar with, a YouTube yeah, sure. competitive uh, competitor, and they have their own cloud hosting services. There's other even specifically designed cloud hosting services that are for free speech, like RightForge. So, you know, it depends on if they make themselves in, themselves invulnerable to something like Amazon Web Services yanking a parlor off of their cloud hosting services. So conservatives, if they build with 
with that full digital stack in mind and have uh, an acknowledgement that the infrastructure actually matters, not just the platform sitting on top of those cloud hosting services and those servers, then I think they have a chance at survival. But if they just ride on top of what these big tech platforms have already built, then you know there's always the chance that you're going to get snuffed out or you have to be beholden to the ideology of these companies and what they're pushing. Yeah, always appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber, the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tonta Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.